Jeremiah chapter 15. And as you're turning there again, my wife does send her greetings. Uh, we, we give the Lord praise that I've been able, uh, everything's went well. I've been able to stay for the meeting. I give God glory for that. I'll be leaving out this afternoon. Uh, I do have a desire to stay, but I need to get back to my wife and my children, as well as I have a uh, construction project starting at the church on Monday, and tomorrow I'll be at the church pre preparing for that. Uh, but I hate to leave you, but would you trust you'll have a wonderful service tonight. And, uh, but I want to share one more thing with you before I leave. I, this is something uh, that recently the Lord had dealt with me on in prayer and study. Uh, my church, anybody who goes to my church has heard me say this numerous times a couple of summers ago. I, just, I, I found that sometimes during the summer, if I'm not doing any school or anything like that, I'll find a book of the Bible and just want to devour that book, get in it. And, I, and the book of Jeremiah was a subject of study for me a few summers ago. And I don't know why, but the book of Jeremiah would just did something for me. I feel like it has a very contemporary ring to it and the idea that it's relevant to the day in which we are living. What he was facing as a minister, as a prophet, and the condition that Judah was in during that time. It matters, brothers and sisters, how you respond to the light that has been given to you in your life. And judgment is a real thing. God judges the nations. If you read through the prophets, not only did He deal with Judah, but He dealt with other nations as well. But He always dealt with them according to the light that they had received. And Judah, Israel, who had received great light, are going to be judged. And God is going to call Jeremiah to speak and preach a message of judgment. And I want to say this at the beginning before we read our text. America is not about to be judged, it is being judged. It is being judged. The wrath of God, brothers and sisters, sometimes we always think it's got to be something cataclysmic. The abandonment of God, Romans 1, is what we are witnessing in the day in which we live. There's a phrase I'll use a little bit here today, and again, folks from my church has heard me use this many times. Prophetic duplicity. When there is a true message from God, but there's also other folks who are sending delusions and trying to counteract that very word given from God, we are living in that day in America. Amen. Jeremiah 15, let's look there if you would, verses 18 through 21. And as I'll explain a little bit later, Jeremiah here is in a very, very depressing situation. He's despondent. Let's look at this and let's see what Jeremiah says and then what God says to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15 and 18, Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Therefore thus saith the Lord, If thou return, He's speaking this to Jeremiah, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto the people a fenced brazen wall. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord." And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. What I want to preach on here this morning, and I, 
feel this is a message for this hour. And ministers, I know we've been, Brother Israel as well as myself has mentioned several things to ministers, but this is to the ministers and the whole church. I want to talk to you this morning about the recommissioning of Jeremiah. The recommissioning of Jeremiah. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, <laughs> God, we are humbled, Lord, that we've been able to come in Your presence, Jesus, again. God, we are overwhelmed, God, with Your goodness towards us at this meeting, God. But I know that You're trying to encourage us and instruct us for the day in which we live and the hour in which we live. And I ask You, Lord, this morning, Lord, that You'd help us again. Meet with us on this Friday morning, God, and let Your Spirit visit us in this time. God, it's not for naught. God, it's not for in vain, Lord, that you've met with us as you have. But God, I have to believe you are preparing us, Lord, for what's to come in our nation. We are living in a time of difficulty, God, a time of apostasy, a time of confusion. But God, you're trying to make the way clear for your children. You want the ministers to be instructed by your word, God. And we look to the book of Jeremiah this morning. And the example of this man and this prophet. Speak to us today through your word. Help us, God, to be clear, Lord Father. Anoint us for this next little bit of time. Help us to understand this text in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, everybody may... Be seated. I don't believe it's by accident that God has met with us like He has this week. I have to view it as in a larger picture that God is preparing us for something. For the days ahead. Too long in the mindset of Pentecostals, we believe God just blesses to bless and just to make you feel good. But God always is direct and has intentions that are good towards us, no doubt, but also to prepare us for the journey ahead. As I read through the book of Jeremiah, much like you have over the years, I am astounded and taken back about this prophet that we know so much about his ministry. And as commentators would show us and talk about, we know more about Jeremiah's life than any other prophet. We know about his parents and we also know that he's a priest. We know where he comes from. But in the book of Jeremiah, we see so much of not only his ministry and his message, but we see the reactions of the audiences to whom he was preaching. We see his persecution. We see his testings. We even see at times his raw personal feelings as he would call or either he himself would write or the scribe would write what he was going through. But he tells his scribe to write what he's saying. It's recorded for you and I to witness the heart of a man of God in the midst of God's judgment. 
We look at the name of Jeremiah. It's a very unique name when you look at it. And if you study it out to its furthest extent, it basically means Jehovah throws or Jehovah laying a foundation or establishes. It's the idea of God dealing and throwing and establishing. It's a, it's a very full name. And as we look at Jeremiah, we come to this man who is the son of a priest. We know God is going to call him into a ministry that is a ministry that many would not desire today. It is the type of ministry that many in the world that with Christianity and going into the ministry has become such a popular thing in our society. And people just not even called of God that just, just loosely enter into things for paychecks and for churches and for congregations. But the calling of Jeremiah was a calling to a broken heart. God was going to use this man. As many of you know, he's called the weeping prophet. And there's many different verses that bear this out, but I'll share a few with you. In Jeremiah 9 in verse 1, he would say, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes the fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Here, Jeremiah, and there's other verses we can look at. Here, Jeremiah, who loves his nation, who loves his people, is called by God to preach to his own countrymen. This is going to be his congregation. He had to appeal to his own countrymen, even though at other times he would speak about other nations and to other nations. Predominantly, he's speaking to his own people, his own countrymen, and he's constantly calling them to repent. You would find, as you study through the book of Jeremiah, the idea or the phrasing of return to me or return is used numerous times. If you ever do a word study on that, it's the idea that God is not changed. The covenant of God is not changed. God is not moved. He is the same God. But if there's any compromise, if there's any change, it is in the nation of Israel. So Jeremiah many times would plead with them that look, you need to return. But it would get to a place in the ministry of Jeremiah. A shift in the nation of Judah to where they no longer can return to the place where God's not going to judge them. Their judgment is determined. The judgment is set. And so then Jeremiah would then plead with them, look, you still need to return to God. Look, judgment is coming. It's evident. Nothing is going to change that. But look, you need to come to God. And then God still gives them instruction for survival. And don't resist the Babylonians. He says, look, you know, don't resist them. He would even call the delegates of the nations to heed his counsel, to submit to Babylon. You're not going to change it Turn. God's going to judge you. But it's better to be judged and chastised with God on your side than by yourself and being judged in your rebellion. He did this, brothers and sisters, for five decades. I don't know if we grasp that. To be a man whose heart is trampled on. A man who is abused and rejected for five decades. And even though we, we know there's a remnant and there's those that most likely would, would stand with Jeremiah to some extent. He felt completely isolated and alone. He for five decades. His ministry is believed to start at the age of 20. And most likely to end around 85 or 90 years old by some historians. That's a 
long ministry to be rejected. That's a long ministry to be denied. That's a long ministry to feel like you're not successful. You don't feel like there's no national revival. Judgment, judgment, judgment is the message of Jeremiah. I wonder... If there was somehow we could go back and count the tears of Jeremiah, how many tears there would have been. Preacher, I wonder if we could count your tears, how many times have you wept in frustration of the day in which you live? How many times have you crawled into your study or your couch or your recliner And you wept and cried even though you see good things. And even though there's times of encouragement, you're living in a time of God's judgment. Brothers and sisters, I am not a doomsday preacher. I promise you that. But I do know this, that the condition of our nation is not, look, I did vote this year and I'm hoping for the best results. But my hope is higher than the White House. My hope is higher than that. I do pray for peace and I look to the future. And when I hold my little children's hands. I often wonder what will they face because even though I realize we can have seasons of revivals and we can have services like last night, we're still living in a time that God's judgment is imminent and we're living in a time of confusion. I'll tell you right now, what we need more, we, we will not be redeemed the more all the morality of a Republican party, but it's going to be what thus saith the word of God. It's the character of God. It's the character of Christ. That's what we need in these last days. Jeremiah in his day looked to his people's sin. He knew about the invader coming. He would have visions about the siege. He would tell them about the calamities and the destruction. But the spiritual condition of their day was yet the same. They would persecute him. They would mock him. You know the story. I'm not going to go through the history of the northern and the southern kingdom and about the invasion of the Assyrians. You know the story about even though Manasseh and there was wicked kings and, and Ahaz and they, and they would sacrifice their children to idols. We know there would be reformations and revivals under men like Hezekiah and Josiah. But all of those revivals were shallow revivals. It never dealt with their heart as it should be. They would never come to God as they should. And as soon as another king would get on the throne, everything that they had taken place, all of the reforms would be done away with. This was a nation of religious insecurity, dishonesty, adultery, injustice, and all these different things. But here the prophet Jeremiah is. This is one of the most difficult messages he's delivered, one of the most difficult books as we read as this prophet has a difficult message. Even though Jeremiah I love Judah. He loved God more. I love America. Don't you? But I love God more. I love America. And I appreciate the military. I do. 
And I believe we have a wonderful history, even though it's got us horrible places. But we thank God that there's always been people that have looked to God sometimes and didn't know much or, or did not want to know much, whatever it was. But I do know this. I love America. But you've got to love God more. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to understand. I know it's an election year, and I am not against voting. I don't want you to leave here with that here this morning. But I want you to understand this. You've got to love God more than you love your nation. Amen. Yes, I'm an American, but I'm a Christian first. Amen. Yes, I'm American, but I'm a Christian first. My allegiance is unto the Lord. I still feel like a pilgrim in this world. I still feel like a wanderer. Why? Because I realize I'm looking for a greater country like Abraham. I feel like a vagabond at times. Why? Because this world is not like it should be. So though Jeremiah loved his country, he loved God more. And as painful as it was for Jeremiah to deliver a consistent message of judgment to his own people, Jeremiah was obedient to what God told him to say. Yes, Jeremiah prayed. Yes, he prayed for mercy for Judah. Yes, he trusted God was good. And yes, he knew God was righteous. But we too, like Jeremiah, must look at the horizon of the day in which we live and realize, yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is good. But God must judge as well. Many times people ask the question, are prophets still needed today? And I realize there's a unique ministry about the Old Testament prophets. But I am of the nature that the spirit of prophecy has not dissipated. But it's increased. In the sense that all God's people can be prophets. Is that not what Moses would say? As he would call the elders there. And there would be a unique demonstration of God's spirit falling. And then he would say, oh. And then I think it was, yeah, it was Joshua who would try to say, Eldad and Medad is there in the camp. And they were prophesying. And Moses said, don't you stop it for my sake. I would that all God's people were prophets. With this idea, you have access to the throne of grace. And God can speak to you as well as he can speak to me. But God does speak to his people. Prophets often are labeled as foretellers, as people that always tell the future. But can I tell you, the predominant ministry of a prophet was not just predicting the future, but they were foretellers exposing the sins of the people and calling them back to their covenant responsibilities before God. A prophet sometimes say, hey, he's able to see into the future. That was a small portion of his ministry. But more than anything, there was somebody that could talk to God and they would call God's people back into repentance, back to himself. This is not just futuristic, but a prophet was able to charge and challenge the people of God in that day. We look at the ministry of Jeremiah. We know about his original commission found in Jeremiah chapter 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... I, I like that because here Jeremiah is, the son of a priest. Most likely they would expect him to follow into the priesthood. 
But here it is, all of a sudden, the word of the Lord came unto him. Though this is a brief idea, this verse is the heart of the prophetic experience. God would invade men's lives. God would invade men's lives. Just like Amos in Amos chapter 7. He said, look, he said, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto the children of Israel. Here this man is. He's a herdsman. He plucks fruit off trees. But God invaded his life. Preachers, how many remembers your calling? Do you remember where it was? Did it invade your life that much? I remember where I was. After work, I would go work for the state and I would go by Brother Irvin's church where I was attending church at that time. And I got down behind that pulpit and I said, God, I know you saved me for a reason. And I, there I felt the commission of heaven to the place. It was so distinct. I ran out the building and even though we accidentally locked in my church keys and my cell phone all in the church, I was so nervous. I went and knocked on Brother Irvin's door. That moment I realized that I heard from God. I knocked on his door and said, Brother, I think God's called me to preach. Amen. He said, He'll never forget. I looked like I was three shades white. Amen. Terrified and nervous. God invaded my life. God invades people's normal day lives. He comes there. Why? Because He wants men to speak for Him in these last days. Many times, I often say this, I think God called me before He hurt me. And I don't feel much like much of a minister, I promise you that. But where do I find some confidence that I know in God's divine foreknowledge, He looked through the ages. He knew who I would be. He knew my experiences. And there He would call me. Jeremiah 1 and 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. I love that verse there because Jeremiah, here he is. He didn't know God was going to call him. He didn't know he was going to be a prophet for five decades. He was a son of a priest. But God speaks to him and says, Jeremiah, I knew you. This refers to God's foreknowledge in providence. Amen. Jeremiah, your birth wasn't by accident. God chose Jeremiah even before he was conceived and formed in his mother's womb. Amen. This call is not an accident. He said, Jeremiah, I gave. He said, look, I formed you. I knew you. He said, I knew you before you were born. He said that you were going to be a prophet unto the nations. I find great comfort here today that Derek Jones pastoring in Hampton, Virginia, when I'm in the will of God was not by accident but God saw me there God knows what needs to be said and I've got to depend on him brother Israel God's seen you at West Jefferson brother Woods God's seen you right here brother Andrew all of us God sees and God knows and notice here what Jeremiah would say and then I said oh Lord behold I cannot speak for I am but a child 20 years old Here this man is, struck with terror over the magnitude of the task. Here it is, God speaks to him, you're called. 
Much like Moses would try to have excuses where he was. These men were nervous and terrified at what may be. But what what God looked at Jeremiah, he wasn't looking at his age so much. He wasn't looking at the color of his eyes or his stature. He needed a man with a tender heart that would be able to sympathize with the condition of his fellow countrymen. Brothers and sisters, hear me today that God is still looking for men and women to make up the hedge and to stand in the gap and to intercede and to be His voice. The Lord said unto him, Don't say you're a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever command thee thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. But I've seen a lot of faces. Right? I've seen some faces get mad. I see some faces get sad. As Brother Woods was saying last night about human countenance, I know all about it. But God is telling him, Jeremiah, your message is going to be heavy on their minds, but don't you be afraid of their faces. Can you imagine Jeremiah standing in the courts of kings as he's telling them judgment is coming? Imagine the faces they would make at this man of God. Imagine that the faces they would see. He would walk the streets and see devastation and pain and hurt and destruction and judgment. Don't be afraid of their faces. They'll threaten to kill you. They'll threaten to end everything. But do not be afraid of their faces. Why? For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. I'll be with you. I will deliver you. But I want you to notice something about the ministry of Jeremiah. God gives him instructions. Hear me. Jeremiah, your ministry is going to be twofold. It's going to be constructive, but even more, it's going to be destructive. He would give him four verbs, and he would tell him there. He said, look, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And he would say, see, I have set thee over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy to throw down. These are the destructive parts of the ministry. It tears down. This is a ministry like a demolition. Demolition. It's pulling down. It's challenging hearts. It's preaching. But also he would build up. It says you will build and you will plant. Now as we look at the content of Jeremiah's message, we look at this and come to this conclusion that this is not going to be easy. And brothers and sisters, I know it was a wonderful atmosphere last night and God encouraged and feel and it was powerful. But it's not going to get any easier. Boy, I enjoyed being in that presence of the Lord last night. Have you not? But I also realize I'm going back to Hampton, Virginia. And I doubt Sunday night in service, unless I'm very surprised, we're going to be in there at 12 o'clock. Maybe y'all do that every Sunday night here at 12 o'clock. Or maybe every midweek service. Look, I realize every service is not the same. And there's times we need the instruction. I realize every service is not camp meeting service. But I do know this. When I go back home, I'm going to have to mount the pulpit. I'm going to have to counsel and deal with what? I'm going to have to tear down. I'm going to have to pull down. I'm going to have to destroy. But I'm also going to have to build up. But in the process of doing ministry, how many knows it can get discouraging and heavy and your heart can be trampled on? 
Let's fast forward a little bit in the book, and I'm not going to not going to read all these verses, but I want you to know where I'm getting the recommissioning of Jeremiah from. When you go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 14 and 15, these are two chapters in our Bible, but most commentators and scholars agree that should not be separated. God was judging at this time. These are This is years later. God has used Jeremiah to prophesy and to, to pull down and tear down and destroy and to build up and to plant. But here Judah is in the middle of a famine and a drought. There is no water. God is judging them. God is chastising them. We know the Old Testament. These were a covenant people. It would say if his people obeyed his law, God would send the rains and give Give them a bumper crop in Leviticus chapter 26. But if they disobeyed, then heaven would become like iron, iron and the earth like bronze. So basically what it's saying is this. If you serve God, and this is an agricultural country and culture at that time. If you serve God and obeyed, he would send the rain. But if not, God would withhold the rain from you and you would perish. Now when God would do this. The natural thing would be this. The people would cry out, right? Oh, I've messed up. God, I'm sorry. If you want to see that cycle, read the book of Judges. But notice in verses 1 through 6 of Jeremiah 14. And here it is, the plight of the land. I'm not going to read all these verses, but if you read verses 1 through 6... It shows you the, the effects of this drought. It says, look, the little ones, the kids are going to the waters. And, you know, as they would do in that time, as the kids would go get water and bring it back home, but there's no water. They're suffering. They're hungry. They've got empty vessels. Even the animals are suffering. You have to understand, when there was a famine or when there was a drought, not only would it affect the people, but they need the animals to work. They need to till the ground. They need to plant the crops. All of these things it affects it was like a trickle down effect here they are feeling the repercussions of God's judgment verse 7 through 9 listen to the people oh Lord thou that thou our iniquities testify against us do thou it for thy namesake for our backslidings are many we have sinned against thee Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior, the Savior thereof in the time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be a stranger in the land? And as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night, why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. Notice they're crying out to God because God has sent it, and God has sent this drought, and now they're crying out to God, not because they love Him, but because the conditions are bad. God answers them. Sounds like a good prayer. Amen. Look at God's answer. Verse 10, Thus saith the Lord unto this people, Thus have they loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. They did what they wanted to do. Therefore the Lord doth not accept them. He will not remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Then said the Lord unto me, Pray not for this people for their good. Did anybody else just catch that? Jeremiah, don't pray for them. Brother Derek, I thought we're supposed to pray for them. Yeah, you are. 
But when God gets to a place and says, don't pray for them, I'm going to judge them, that's something that we need to pay attention to. When they fast, I'll not hear their cry. When they offer their offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. But notice this. and I got, You've got to pay attention with me here this morning. This is so relevant to our day. So notice the people are crying out because of this famine and drought. God says, I'm not going to answer their prayers. Don't you pray for them. But in verses 13, uh, the verses 13 through 16, here comes the false prophets. They said, Oh, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, Ye shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine. They're in a drought. You're not going to have a famine. What you... But I will give you assured peace in this place. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. Prophetic duplicity. I sent them. Neither, I mean, I have not sent them, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. Brothers and sisters, hear me today. These mega ministries is witchcraft. It's divination. I learned this in, uh, in Haiti. I talked to a pastor that's been there 60 years. And I'm telling you right now, that's tough, tough spiritual soil to plow over there. Witchcraft, voodoo. One day, Pastor Augustine, I was asking him. I said, how in the world? I said, do the witch doctors, do they have that much power? He said, well, no, not really. He said, but they're just willing to prophesy. He said, it's that simple. The people come to them. And they always tell the people what they want to hear. They always tell the people. You know, a person comes to the witch doctor. I need some money. They go to the witch doctor. The witch doctor says, all right, I'll kill this chicken. I'll do this in a ceremony. And God's going to bless you. Give me a little bit of money. All it is is divination. It's a game. He said, they're not that powerful. We should not fear them. But what it is, it's witchcraft in the sense that they tell the people what they want to hear. And what do they want to hear? They want to hear that the rebellious ways are right. And rebellion is as the way of the sin of witchcraft. Therefore, in verse 15, thus said the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy my name. I sent them not, yet they say sword and famine shall not be in this land, but sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. <laughs> They're saying the sword and the famine ain't coming. They're going to be some of the first ones to get thrust through. I wonder if this rang in Judah's mind when Babylon came and they're walking the streets and they see that false, they see that false prophet laying there, starving with his family. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, judgment's gonna come at some point in time, and it doesn't matter how mega your ministry is, doesn't matter how many millions you spent on your house, doesn't matter how many books have been written, there's gonna come a point in time that judgment will consume all, all of those who turn away from God. Brothers and sisters, this was the condition of their day, and is it not the condition of our own. Verse 17 through 22 shows us the prayer, the pain and the prayer of the prophet. I'm just going to read a few verses real quick. Verse 19. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? This is Jeremiah talking to God. Hast thou so loved Zion? Why hath they smitten us? 
Is there no healing for us? We look for peace and there is no good. And for the time of healing and behold, trouble. And at the end of verse 22, therefore, he says, we will wait upon thee for thou hast made all these things. And I want to get to verse 15 here. There's much that could be said. We are not to break up chapters 14 and 15. The narrative continues on. Look at verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. I really want you to pay attention to this. I was sharing this with Brother Shane this morning. Then said the Lord unto me, God's talking to Jeremiah, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind would not, could, would not move towards these people. Cast them out of thy sight and let them go forth. Does anybody else, and ministers, I know this really applies to us. You know, do we ever kind of get like Elijah did when he's running in the wilderness and the angel talks to him and he kind of says something this, I'm not as good as my father's. No doubt Jeremiah might have thought to himself, Lord, if Moses or Samuel, one of them prophets, maybe all of this would be different. But here God speaks to Jeremiah and said, even if the great intercessor Moses was here, or Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards his people. There's nothing that's going to change it. Their punishment is determined. Find that in verses 2 through 9. And brothers and sisters, again, I'm trying not to be just doomsday, but hear me. Could it be the judgment towards our nation is determined? Could it be? Now, I don't know. Once again, you're setting dates, Brother Derek. No, I'm not. But I'm telling you, we've made a shift in our nation in the last decade that even in my young life, I've been surprised. They didn't even pass or legalize the national law that somebody was allowed, same-sex unions. That was only five years ago. Look at the decline in five years. I remember the first time I heard the word homosexual. I had a gay uncle. And I didn't know what it meant. I was 12. I was, I was me and my brother were hiding in my mom and dad's closet. And I remember we were going to joke around. We are going to hop out and scare him. I don't know how it was going to work. But I heard dad kind of crying a little bit, talking about his brother who has AIDS. That's a homosexual. And my older brother Nick says, what does that mean, Dad. I didn't know. It wasn't common. We went from that in my short lifespan. I was 12 years old. I'm 33 now. America is living in the most perverted society. Can you look around and see it? Our public school system is plumb satanic. And I, I look, I know parents sometimes have no options and things like that. But I, if I was you, I'd get to a place you could do something. Why? Because we got transgender children now. We have a, we have a young lady in our church. Her name is, is Kayla Ritchie. Got saved a few years ago. And, 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 she's, uh, she, she, and she was telling me the story that her son Jax was in school. Got invited to a young boy's birthday party in the class. Goes. The little boy gets a dress for his birthday. Jax thinks it's hilarious. 
And the mom pulls them aside and said, you need to quit, tell him to quit laughing at my little, my little boy, huh? if, if she called him a boy. That's where we are. As Brother Israel mentioned the other night, we have entered into the fields of the fatherless. We have touched the innocence. We are living in a perverted society. And I'm telling you right now, homosexuality is already the bottom of the barrel. And I'm telling you, we're just going to continue to go further down. Next, it'll be polygamy. Next, it'll be pedophilia. You watch all these different things in a world of no moral absolutes. So yes, I know Jeremiah's day. We may be separated by thousands of years, but we're dealing with the same spirit of evil and apostasy in this day. Been sharing with some of these brothers some things I've come across in ministry. Something called progressive Christianity. Red letter Christians. Got some family wrapped up in the movement. One of them go to a church. He's a homosexual. He leads song. He's the, he's the, he's the leader of worship at a church. The church has an agenda and their mission was called homosexual inclusion. And it was all about how could they convince. I watched the videos and I listened to the little sermonettes, not even sermons, but I listened to the evil lies. As they said, one of their agendas was this. How do we get the older people in our congregation to accept inclusion of homosexuality in our worship and our practice? That church is so corrupt. They have a ministry that they pass out makeup to transgender children. American Christianity. We're to the place that we have to almost redefine ourselves because they've hijacked every term. Not that we should redefine anything, but we need to come out. Let there be a stark contrast. Let there be a difference. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a time that God is judging. And false prophets and false ministries is the judgment of God. Isaiah would talk about sent delusions. And we know in the latter times and and when the Antichrist comes, there's going to be an increase of deception. There's a lot of people in America that are so deceived. The remnant church. When here it is, we went from being the majority, it would seem like in America, to a prophetic minority. Here we are. This is the day we live in. And when judgment does come in the form that is noticeable, people are going to cry out, but God will not answer. I don't feel like a prophet, but I'm telling you, I know enough about the character of God in the Old Testament and in the New. He's the same God. He's the same God. And His dealings with Israel and Judah and other nations... And once again, where there's great light, there's great responsibility. And in America, we have great light. As Leonard Ravenhill would say in his book, Sodom had no Bible. Look at our Christian programs. Look at our Bible bookstores. Look at our commentaries. Look at our systematic theologies. Look at our lexicons. Look at our radio stations and broadcasts. We are enamored with Christianity. But many of them are not listening to the true heart of God. Jeremiah 15 and 6, he says this, I'm weary of their repenting. I don't want to hear it no more. Now I want to move here to our text. Jeremiah's complaint, and starting in verse 10. This man is tired. All right, brothers and sisters, again, I, I don't want to misjudge Jeremiah here. He's gone through a lot. I don't even think we comprehend 
what this man is going through. We read about it. But I'll tell you, a few summers ago, as I was taking time to pray over the, those chapters and read over them, I'm tell you, I sat at my desk and wept because the heart of this man had been trampled on so much. Can he keep going? He's weary. Verse 10 of Jeremiah 15, Woe is me! Well, woe is me, my mother that has borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury. He said, I haven't taken advantage of them like the false prophets. But what do they, what do, they do to me? Yet every one of them doth curse me. Here, he's despondent. But I want to show you something here in verse 11. Even though he has a moment of despondency, Aren't you glad God encourages us as well? Verse 11. In his cry of despondency, the Lord said, Verily, it shall be well with the remnant. Verily, I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil, in the time of affliction. Jeremiah, look, nothing's going to change. There's going to be judgment. I know you're despondent, but guess what? There's a remnant, and when the enemy comes, they're going to treat you well. The inevitable judgment found in verses 12 through 14. But I want you to look at verse 15. This is our text. Notice this lament and this charge against God from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is so despondent, he's lost his vision of his calling and of the character of God. Notice this. Brothers and sisters, you cannot get here. You cannot get here. And if you do, I'm going to show you a way out. If you give your mind and your heart and your soul into what's going on in this day and you allow their faces, you allow their voices, you allow their ridicule, you allow them to come against you so much, you can get despondent, you can get weary, and all of a sudden notice Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 15 and 15, O Lord, Thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away on Thy long suffering to know that for Thy sake I have suffered rebuke. I want you to look down there at verse 18. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? He's speaking to God. Think about this. Wilt thou altogether unto me be a liar? God, have you become a liar to me? God, have you lied to me? He's questioning the character of God. He's low. He's been trampled on and abused and he's low. God, have you become a liar? Notice the last phrase there. I want to focus on this for a second. And waters that fail? Some translations render this a deceptive brook. The idea of a deceptive brook was familiar language in that time. Even Job would say in Job 6 and 15, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook and as a stream of brooks that pass away. In Palestine, many brooks had water only after the rainy season and a downpour. And certain times a traveler would come. And when they would come to this well and they would reach down or they would send something down to bring up water, it was nothing but dirt, dirt and dust and dryness. So Jeremiah saying, God, am I being deceived? Have you become something that is just a, a dried up well to me? Now, I want to show you what despondency does to you. Please follow me. Because back in Jeremiah 2 and 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters. Despondency will cause you 
to go from looking God as a spring and a brook of living waters to a deceptive well. You'll come to a place that you completely lose your vision of the character of God. It'll go from being He's a source of life, He's a source of energy, He's my source of hope, to God, are you a liar and a deceptive brook? Hear me. No matter how despondent you get, when you get here, there's only one way out of it. You've got to repent. Oh, Brother Derek, God understands Jeremiah. No. God's not going to overlook it. He will not overlook it. Notice. Verse 19. Notice the rebuke. Therefore thus saith the Lord, if thou return... Stop right there. Jeremiah has pleaded for Judah to return his whole ministry. Jeremiah, you need to return. You need to return where? Back to me. Follow me. Then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. Until you return, Jeremiah... You will not stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, and thou shalt be as my mouth, let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. Jeremiah, you got to return when you do, when you repent. You'll be my mouthpiece again. But then I want you to notice the instruction at the end of verse 19. But it says, yeah, it says let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. It's important that we understand this. God is telling Jeremiah, you've got to become an immovable prophet again. Let them return to you, but do not return unto them. What is that saying? One commentator really highlights this so very well. He says at the end of verse 19, we have a play on words. He's saying this, his life, he says, look, he says, you must let the people return to you, but you must not turn to them. You must not let them drag you down. You and I, as we are speaking in these last days, we are not to move. Amen. We are not to move. I'm going to say, we are not to move. We are to be unmovable. They can come to where we are, but we are not going to compromise by going to where they are, and we're not going to give ourselves into despondency. Don't let them drag you down to their level. That's the temptation in these days. Because what the enemy does, he tries to weary you and weary you until you question the character of God. Then when you question the character of God, you become movable. And when you become movable, you begin to shift the reins. You begin to shift course. And all of a sudden, here you are in a place of judgment. You'll be judged just like them. If you end up like them, if you go to where they are, you are not to be like them, Jeremiah. And I will make thee unto this people a fence brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail. Thank God for it. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked. And I will redeem thee out of the hand 
of the terrible. Commentators call this the recommissioning of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had his initial commission. Go preach. Don't worry about their faces. Don't give in to them. He gets to a place. Lord, have you become a liar to me? And again, this man has been through a lot. Lord, have you become like a deceptive brook? And the Lord says, Jeremiah, return to me. You're not thinking right. Son, come back. 